you can rebuild a motor, reboot your computer, even kickstart the old scooter. But what do you do when your own mojo is mutilated? That's where we step in. Welcome. I got my mojo. To the Mojo Radio Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you for hitting the download button. Thank you for joining us here on our little program for getting in the back seat of the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show. And I think it's fair to say that over the last couple of weeks, we've been down the business laneway. We've been investigating stuff to do with business, getting our side hustle going, how we can make better use of social, how we can make better use of our sales and our sales teams. And today is no different. We're going to journey down the customer service laneway today with an expert in that area. Before we do so, let's uh, check in with the guy who's driving the bus. He has his red velour jacket on uh, and his little cap at the front of the bus. <laughs> I have no idea where that came from. I am so over-caffeinated. I have had a Revy strip. I was going to say. coffee in front yeah. of me. I'm all jacked up a man, <laughs> How you going, mate? Going good. Now, a uh, couple of quick check-ins. Mm-hmm. Uh, news to hand, you've been working on LinkedIn, I believe, after hearing Chris J. I was all inspired. Such a good show. I, I have been recommending that show to so many people, and yeah. I have been anecdotally hearing a lot of really good success stories. Can I tell you um, someone else whose profile I've noticed had a bit of polish in the last week? AP. Just between you oh, and really? me. Oh, really? Yeah, he's been polishing his LinkedIn profile. Oh, you know, immediately comes to mind, mate, you can't polish your turd. <laughs> That's right, exactly. <laughs> no, look, I, I, I'll be honest. I mean, obviously, I sat in on the interview and then I sat through the edit. Um, but then I was driving for an hour the other day and I actually turned it on and listened just as a listener. And I I decided that I'd, I'd give it a go and made a conscious decision to sit down for half an hour every morning and just tweak with it. Um, I've bumped up a whole bunch of listeners and, and made a whole bunch of changes that, that Chris suggested. And I have really noticed so far a massive increase, maybe 500% increase just in the amount of views my profile's had. So um, definitely some great uh, words of advice in there. Yeah, Chris is Chris is really good. And I think if you tie that, spend your time each day, and then if you haven't done yet, listen to Kian McLaughlin, who's a win-loss sales expert. I thought it was a terrific show. I loved that. And speaking of which, just before we go on, uh, Kian McLaughlin was our guest in last week's show. He talked about the sales process, sales people, winning the sale. He wrote a book called The Rebirth of the Salesman, and we have it for all our listeners for free. Oh, wow. I'll read read that. That is an Amazon number one bestseller. Uh, It's an absolutely terrific read, and it's free, so there's no catches, there's no hookups, anything. It's just Ken was on his way to his homeland, uh, and he rang me and said, mate, I'd like to offer your listeners the book for free. Awesome. So it's in the show notes. You just go to last week's show and or this week's show in the show notes and you will see Kian's book, Rebirth of the Salesman, Amazon bestseller. It's free and uh, I reckon you'd be crazy not to get it. Sweet. I bet you've already read it, haven't you? Uh, I'm through it. I'm getting through it. <laughs> it's great. I, I like his stuff. I thought he was terrific. I really enjoyed that show. And I can always tell a great show with how many pages in my journal I have of scratchings, of notes, of great lines. And I've already started using his stuff when I discuss marketing warfare with 
executives and companies and brands and stuff, and I've talked about laying landmines. I mean, there was a lot of good gold in that, and I, uh, I've listened to it twice now, and even the second time through, I was still taking new notes of stuff I'd missed the first go-round, so... Um, we're on a bit of a roll, which is good. I'll just put it out there too. There may be people who be saying, well, you know, I, I, I'm not self-employed. I, I, you know, work behind a desk five days a week. I don't have any need for sales. Stop and think for a minute about your next job. What are you selling then when you're looking to move on? You know, you're out there selling yourself, aren't you? So um, a lot of those principles still apply, right? Well, they do. And I met a lady on the weekend who is approaching uh, the latter years of her life and she is now living the life of a digital nomad. She is selling online through Etsy. A person like that being a digital nomad, you're in sales. And as Kian said right at the start of the show, you're either in sales or you're working in support of sales in a company. There's only one job in every company. No matter what role you're in, you're in sales. If you're a digital nomad or if you've got a side hustle going on like our mates at Chili Bomb, then everyone's in sales. Valuable show, good tips and tools. But you're right, mate. We are in, in one way or another, even if we're working for a PNC or a community group or raising money, for our local rugby team, selling raffle tickets or selling lamingtons, you're still selling. That's right, exactly. Gold, and there's gold galore in both those interviews, so get out there and get into it. The Mojo Radio Show. So we're sticking with the sales theme for another week? Yes, I was doing a job at Westfield uh, just before Christmas time, and I met this guy. Uh, he was in the audience. And since then, I had a phone call from our merchandise chick, our Russian merchandise chick, Oh, wow. Oksana. Oksana, who, of course, put us up for the soap on a rope. Uh, <laughs> and we're working on our next round of merch, which should be fascinating. I'm thinking tea towels. I'm just saying. I'm just thinking tea towels. I can see my face on a tea towel. <laughs> the Mojo Radio Show tea towels. Yeah. Toilet paper. Both of our faces with the line underneath it, the Mojo Radio Show. What are they on? Hey, hey, hey. Hello, hello, give it. Hello, give it on, duck. Um, now, I met Peter there, then found out that he was a very well-respected author and is also at the top of his game in sales, marketing, digital and social media. Uh, and he'd written a book, which is what we want to dig into today, called Customer Romance. And I think it builds really nicely on what we talked about with Kian last week. So, Peter Applebaum, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thanks, Gary. I'm really happy to be here. Having met you before, I'm curious, when people say to you, what do you do, what do you normally reply? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. I always call myself a salesman, um, and I think that uh, titles and tags are just so dangerous because I think it, it, it boxes us into a corner, but I really do think that there's nothing better than being someone who can persuade others as to the value of, of, I guess, of what they're promoting. But whenever I fly into a country or come back to Australia, occupation, salesman, proudly. Just don't put used car in front of it and you're probably okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. Look, I, I guess in my, my day job is that I run a company called Tick Yes. We're a, a digital relationship marketing company. And now you know, guys, why I call myself a salesman. It's much easier. <laughs> like what? <laughs> digital relationship marketing? We had a, a sales guy on the show last week, a guy called Kian McLaughlin, who runs Trinity Perspectives. Yep. And we really, we spend a lot of time on sales and, and I, I really want to hear your perspective on this whole thing as well. But something we talked to, to Kian about was this negative perception that people seem to have about salesmen, yet something that caught my ear just a minute ago, you said when you go through customs and you say, 
salesman and I'm proud of it. You must find with the media you do, being an author, doing keynotes, that there is this, why does it carry this negative per- perception now about people don't seem to want to say they're a salesman? Yeah, well, which I think is, I think it's a real shame. And look, you're right, Gary, I could call myself an author, a company director, a, a presenter of media, all this sort of stuff. But to me, it all comes down to something that you should be very proud about, and that is being able to help other people achieve their objectives. And when you do that, and you do that effectively, you can achieve your own objectives. And I guess it's, to me, it's kind of lazy logic for people to say, oh, like, for example, look, I started, I did a marketing degree and I started my my life as a corporate marketer. Um, And I always thought that was kind of a bit blunt edged, which I know comes as a bit of a, it's a bit counterintuitive when you think about some of the great campaigns that have been run out there and some uh, and some of the, the, the... We wouldn't have a lot of products without marketing, and I love marketing. But fundamentally, we are all... In, we are in the persuasion business. And I think if, if we can persuade someone as to the value of what we're promoting, what we're thinking, what we're saying, effectively, that's where we're... That's, that's what makes the world go around, both in our personal lives and in our professional lives. I've, I've read your book, Customer Romance, which is where I want to spend our time today. And I enjoyed it and I've got yeah. a bunch of questions from it. Peter, I'm, I'm interested in knowing your perspective on this, is that back in the day when I was a kid growing up, and I'm, I can go back a fair way, but uh, if I got bad service, you'd bitch and moan and there's an old saying, you'd tell a dozen people over the back fence. Today, yeah. I get bad service and I kind of just go, well, I kind of expected that. But if I get great service, I really want to tell a lot of people about it. Why, why is this so hard? You've written this book about this relationship, about the romance. Why is it so damn hard for us today to get really great service? You know what I think it comes down to, Gary? It comes down to giving a damn. Most people don't give a damn. You go to – and the ones that do give a damn, they stand out a mile. That's why I say to, 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 to my clients, it's like one of the big problems is, as you rightly said, our expectations are so low that when we actually do get something that's even good, not necessarily great, that's when it's actually saying, wow, that's, I really want to tell people about that. You know, our program has been built on talking to people like yourself who have their mojo working in, in an area of their business. But I, I love that, that premise because you could look at somebody and qualify them by saying, you know, do you give a damn? Really? Strip it back. Do you give a damn as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as a digital nomad, as a footy coach is, do you really give a damn and why, why are you doing this? And I've got to say, I reckon that simplistic question, looking somebody in the eye is such, it's, it's so simple, but then you know, Da Vinci said simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. I reckon that's gold. I agree. I absolutely agree. And, and I'm a great uh, student of, of, again, of persuasion of why people do what they do. And if you look at the great leaders over the years in business, in politics, in religion, they're the people who you felt cared. They gave a damn. They were passionate about what they were communicating. And they stood for something because most of us are so scared and so conflicted. We don't want to get hurt. We don't want to lose money. We don't want to lose our jobs. We don't want to lose that relationship. We're kind of in this dead zone of of perhaps maybe. And I think perhaps maybe doesn't really cut it. I'm a big believer in take a stand. And if you're wrong, learn your mistakes. Apologize if you've hurt anyone and move on and do it better next time. I think standing for something, giving a damn and showing up are the two, uh, really 
basic tenets of a happy life. It's probably the other part that comes to mind when I hear you say that is probably giving a damn about the right things. And I travelled to Perth last week. I travelled with a particular airline. And I felt as though the, the team that I flew with were just getting a job done. I arrived safely, arrived close to on time, but, you know, I don't expect to get there on time anymore. But I look at their hierarchy of this business and I just feel as though they give a damn about the wrong things. They don't actually give a damn about the things that I am paying money and I am looking for to have a comfortable trip. So I think it's really interesting is if you, if you do you give a damn and then what do you give a damn about, isn't it? Right, exactly. And, and, and when you're talking about organisations, and this is really the, the premise for the book, is trying to personalise business. And that's really, I think, if, if you can do that, and you can, and that's where the gold is. Now, I understand for an organization, be it an airline uh, or a utility, if you're selling electricity or, or a bank, for example, you've got millions of customers. And it's really hard to drill down and find out about those types of individual needs, wants, fears, and desires. But it's, not, it's hard, but it's not impossible. And that's where CRM came about, all these, these sophisticated technologies that these companies have spent millions or billions collectively investing in to try to boil it down to a single source of truth, a single customer view. And the premise is fantastic, Gary. But the reality is it's run by people who are just, again, doing a job and they're looking at, at Gary is, is customer A, Peter is customer B, and they've got to push these buttons and tick these boxes and then that's right. And I understand the challenge with scaled organizations. They're not, they're not solopreneurs or they're not small businesses and they, they're dealing with millions of customers. But again, going back to what we talked about before, we, our expectations are so low that if we actually get a phone call from our bank manager or our local uh, Energy Australia representative to say, hi, Gary, I've heard that I'm uh, just checking your account. I've seen that you've been a customer of ours for a couple of years. Just wanted to see what you thought about the service. Well, we'd have to pick you up off the floor, wouldn't we? And that's the sort of thing we're talking about. It's, it's little things. As I say to my customers when it comes to digital marketing, um, one of the greatest opportunities you have is that like you, invariably, your competitors are doing a really bad job of servicing their customers from a digital point of view. That's the biggest opportunity. And it goes back to what we were talking about, just showing up. If you show up in the right way, I think that's a, a big opportunity for a lot of organizations, people and businesses across the board. If we keep going down that, down that laneway, Peter, the book Customer Romance talks about building a commercial love affair and romancing your customers. Can you, can you talk me through how a business starts to do that? Like what, what are the ingredients of having, I love that, that term, a commercial love affair. How do I start to do that? Well, I think the whole premise of the book is we all know how to do romance. We've either been romanced or we're romancing or we used to romance people in our personal lives. Successfully or unsuccessfully, and I guess that's part of life, and that's you have your, your successes and failures. My philosophy is let's use the same principles in our business lives. And I guess, again, it goes back to what we were talking about before. You have to give a damn. And once you do, you give a damn, and you actually make plans to how can I better engage with my customers? What are the steps that I can take? And I guess what I've done to, to make it simple and easy to understand for all of us is go through the steps of our personal relationships. And that's why there are four steps 
to what to what we're talking about. And I think it's it's basically I, I think so like I'm being introduced, developing the romance, going steady and happily ever after. Those are the four stages most of us have a great deal of experience in. So if we can put into little compartments, well, where are we up to with this particular person or this these group of people that we are working with or we want to work with, and we can craft strategies accordingly. So it's actually quite a logical thing. We've actually turning the book into a training program and we've create we've basically um, created what we call the relationship formula because as we know a lot of businesses particularly business business big businesses love formulas so if we can say okay here is the process you go through to actually take aside put put aside whether this customer service person or this account manager he's a really good business person or she's quite shy that takes all of those those variables off the table, and if we can use a particular process to ensure that we get a better or a, a better outcome for customers and in turn for the organisation, that has to be a good thing. When you look at the relationship in, say, in a in relationship between a customer and a business, it's it's normally very process driven. It's rather stiff, um, impersonal, yet. If you're having a relationship with a partner, it's a whole different ball game. What would be your advice to either a solopreneur, entrepreneur, or someone running a large company to start to change the, the pieces so I feel as though I actually do have a relationship as opposed to being part of the process? Right. Well, I think it's important to, again, come up with, as, as a lot of uh, digital marketing people do when they building a website or a digital program, what is your avatar? What does your customer look like? If, you are, if you're in a situation where you can't afford to, where you have countless clients, thousands or millions of clients, how can we just boil it down to who is our ideal client? And I know an organization say, oh, they're all different types of people, ages, stages, all that sort of stuff. We understand that. But I think it's important to at least have a very clear understanding about your typical or ideal client. And then you can say, okay, maybe it's Matthew and Matthew is 35 and he is married with two kids. He lives in Annan Grove. He's paying off a mortgage of $350,000 and he has a degree and he wants to do this, this, and this. By having that specific clarity as to who your customer is, it gives you an opportunity to move forward and say, okay, well, what does Matthew want? He does this. Like, for example, we, when we do programs, we're doing a program for a car company at the moment and helping them with their social media profiles and building those relationships. And we have three avatars, three different people that we're appealing to, and we're crafting the content accordingly and doing the advertising, the, the Facebook ad campaigns to attract those specific people. Now, of course, again, they're not all going to be the same, of course, that's a given, but it just gives you a reference point from which you can make decisions. And you're not always going to be right, but again, as we said before, Gary, if you are right more often than you're not, that's going to be far better than you are with a lot of, uh, lot of other organisations. It's always funny, Peter, when you speak to marketing or sales or brand experts. I mean, you become the hardest markers, right, because you are you're looking at things with an educated eye. You've got a knowledgeable background. I'd be curious to know you personally, is there a brand that you believe you are currently in a romance with? Ah, what a great question. About six or seven years ago, we went to Fiji and my 
then relatively new partner who loves the good things in life. We went to the, the shop, the, the gift shop there, and she said, you need every every man of worth and substance needs a beautiful watch. Now, I've never really focused on these sorts of things, so she said, you need a tag Hoyer. And I'm now proudly wearing the tag Hoyer that I bought back then, and I love my watch. I love my tag Hoyer watch. I have no no idea whether it's a better watch than anything else. I've also got a $40 watch that I wear when I'm, I'm doing sports, so I can, it's got a stopwatch and all those sorts of things. But I love my tag Hoyer because of how it makes me feel. Because it makes me feel that I've again, it's it's a it's an elegant watch. It's that it it I guess communicates to the world that this is a man of worth. This is a man who has something. It's not just a wearing a cheap thing. All of which is completely rubbish. But again, perception is reality, and as we marketers know, that's an oft quoted thing with uh, with people who are in the persuasion business. And it's true. It's like I'm I feel better when I'm wearing my tag. Than I do when I'm not. Let's let's go down that track. Uh, you've been introduced to tag. Perceptually, you feel great about it. You yep. have you've had a couple of dates now with tag. You maybe spent an <laughs> intimate night together or two. Several, what's tag? What's what's <laughs> what's tag doing to keep the flame alive now? I'll, I'm going to centre on tag, but I'm also going to give you the, the, the broad out for this as well, is that right now divorce is rife and there is a lot of romance that's going pear-shaped over the years with divorce. I'd be curious to know what, if anything, tag have done to keep the, keep the flame alive with you and... As, and using that as an example of what we should be doing to keep the romance alive with our customers or clients. I think one of the key things a brand or a company or a person can do to keep that romance alive and building, in fact, is consistency. I fell in love with TAG because it stood for something. It helped me to feel something about myself and it provided, fundamentally, if you boil it down, it provided a good experience from a from a, a functional point of view. It's a great timepiece, if you will, using an old expression, um, and all the other intangibles that we've talked about. It has stayed true to that promise. It has continued to be a good timepiece. Its communication out in the marketplace is consistently premium, quality, elegant, it has been consistent, and I think that's where a lot of brands make a mistake. And, and I used to be a brand manager for supermarket brands many, many years ago in marketing, and the joke was when you change the brand manager, you change the packaging. And it wasn't that far from the truth. And, and I think it's still pretty much the case, and they wonder why the premium house brands in supermarkets compared to the, the branded products, they wonder why the, the premium house brands, which are in, invariably cheaper, are now getting a greater market share because our relationship with the brands, our emotional bond to the brands keeps changing because it doesn't look like it used to. It doesn't act like it used to. It's a smaller pack. It's more expensive. It's this, this, and this. It's not a consistent experience. It's not delivering to my expectations. It's not managing my expectations effectively. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add to your story here, but I'm also going to tie into your tag uh, ordeal because I, I, I too own a tag um, and I've had one for a few years. Uh, last year, about 12 months ago, in fact, I took it in because it needed a new battery and I was told, look, it probably needs 
a service. You know, it's X amount of years old. It's probably about time that we went right through it and had a good going over. Fine, not a problem. You know, forked out the bucks, sent they, and it had yep. to get sent down to Melbourne. About a week later, I got it back. And three days after leaving the store, it was running about an hour and a half ahead of where it should be. It, it wasn't keeping proper time. Took it back to the jewellers. They sent it back to Melbourne. Yeah, no problem. We figured out what it is. We fixed it now. Got it back. It was running slow. It was losing about five minutes a day. <laughs> so third time around, they finally got it right. Here's, here's my question on the back of that for you, though. As a salesman, if you were working for TAG and someone who you were trying to sell TAG to gave you that story, how do you spin that? To work for yourself, oh, to work. Gary, I think that's. I always say a complaining customer is the, is the best opportunity that you have because it really does allow you to show them how good you are. And again, going back to the basic premise, how much you give a damn because things go wrong. As I say, I've had a, like actually, ironically, you say that it just reminded me. I had my my uh, battery changed as well last week, and it was uh, I, I paid as much to get my battery changed for my tag than I would for a new watch. Yes, <laughs> um, other types of watches, and you know what? That's fine. But going back to what we were talking about, a complaining customer is a, one of a company's greatest assets because, as I say, it, it it allows you to stress test what your relationship is with your customers. It's a, it, obviously you need to deliver the foundational on the foundational need that you have, which is basically to get your watch to read the right time. That's, that's, a, that's a basic delivery mechanism. It's like when you open a can of Coke, what do you expect? Coke. If you've got, if you've got um, Sprite or, or beer in there, that's not consistent with, with what the brand promise is. So with the tag, that gives you a great opportunity to say, you know what, we really stuffed up. We apologize. We stuffed up. Let's fix it for you. Because I actually, I, I, I'm, I'm actually astounded, Gary, I both in my personal life and business life, how so many organizations and people have problem with the two words, which I think is so powerful. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, genuinely, this offsets and cuts off of the past so many potential problems. It's like, I'm sorry, Gary, we stuffed up, we apologize, we've done it a couple of times, it's not good enough, let us fix it for you. If you then got a fantastic experience from TAG and just getting a watch back now, I suggest is not good enough. I think you are right to say, okay, what they should be giving me more than just the watch working correctly because that was my basic expectation two times ago, two services ago. If TAG was smart, they would do something more. I don't know what that is. They would, they sh- could and should do something more. That would be customer romance. They could throw in a new tag. I won't complain. There you go. There you go. Because <laughs> let's face it, we all make mistakes. We organisations, people, we all make mistakes. That's just a given. It's how you deal with it. I think that's that's really where the gold is. It makes me think of a great quote from the prophet Mike Tyson, the boxer, who said, <laughs> eh, "Everyone's got a plan." Every, everyone's got a plan until they get hit. And it's like the boxer going in and saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to jab, I'm going to do this, and by fifth round, I'm going to do that. But as soon as they get one on the nose, suddenly it's almost lights out. It. Now it's just survival. And I do like that notion of implanting customer is a wonderful opportunity because I think most strategies, most plans are good when, when things are good. But as soon as things go pear-shaped, strategies, customer service, relationships, all hell breaks loose. And then it's just survival. And it's quite right that I, I like that idea uh, of seeing it. And I think a lot of things I'm hearing from you, Peter, are the way that a person, 
an entrepreneur or a business frames how they're seeing something. And I think the other thing that comes to mind for me is the two powerful words, but the other bits you put in that, it's put in brackets at the end of it is, you know, genuine. I think a lot of people say they're sorry, but they're just not genuine about it. And it's just Correct. a way of actually trying to finish the sentence and move on to the next thing, isn't it? That's right. And look, we can write these books, we can have these podcasts, we can have these seminars and all the, until the cows come home. But one thing we can't do, Gary, is if, we, if the people we're speaking to and if the people that are taking away the knowledge and the tips and the strategies, if, if it's not genuine, it's, it's all for naught. Save your time. Don't, don't listen, don't watch, don't read, because it's like we, we and we know this from, from, our personal, from our personal lives, we can spot a phony a mile away. And I think that if the reason that no doubt you and I and, and other people listening to this show have had any success at all is because people see that we're genuine. And when you're not genuine, it's like, well, there's enough phoniness, there's enough fake fakery in the world. We don't want to really spend time, effort and money with people or organizations that really don't care about us. I mean, if you look at the big, the big uh, telcos, Telstra in particular, is always every day getting slammed. What a challenge. What a challenge. I guess if you're a twenty billion dollar company, that comes with the that comes with the territory and if you're the biggest the big gorilla in the, the telecommunications space. But I guess again it, it's how you deal with it that makes a difference. Things go wrong all the time, every day. But it's it's really using your communication and and different types of strategies that are really gonna make a difference. It's half time on the Mojo Show. And time to pause. For a cause. Hi, this is Mark Ferguson from Suit of Change, and we dress unemployed men for job interviews. And we'd love to get your pre-loved suits and shirts and shoes and trousers and ties. So please donate. Uh, check out the website at www.suitofchange.com. But, 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 but don't touch your dial because you've got a treat coming up with a batch of real big stars. The Mojo Radio Show. You said earlier in the program, you talked about the fact that it's harder when you have thousands or hundreds of thousands of customers. And I know you have written about Zappos before who were an online shoe company who have become famous for their customer service and have become famous for their relationship with their people and their customers. And they would have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of disciples who are having a romance with Zappos. With your learnings, knowledge and experience you have looking at them, Peter, what would you say is a secret we could take from them or a tip or a tool or something we could take from Zappos as a learning? Well, I think really it comes down to, I I think the word you used before is exactly why they've been successful, disciples. How many Telstra disciples are there? How many uh, disciples of of any government department are there? Zero. (laughs) And that's because because people, they're inconsistent, sometimes they get a good experience, sometimes they don't. And they, they haven't engaged us emotionally. We may know the brand and they might have pretty ads and pretty brochures and pretty retail outlets, but they really don't. People don't feel like anything more than a functional delivery of a product or service. With Zappos, it was more. It was much more than that. We felt that it was – and when you think about it, they're just shoes. They're just shoes. They're just something we put on in the morning, we take off at night. So 
The fact that they've created those disciples shows that their absolute zealotry and their complete dedication to the customer is not just lip service. It goes back to all the principles we were just talking about, Gary. If they care, they're consistent, they give a damn, and they have programs and strategies in place to deliver the best possible product and the best possible experience. And I think we as human beings, are, we are relationship-seeking beings. We are seeking relationships all the time. And most of the time, particularly when you're talking about dealing with organizations, we're disappointed. And that's why price, and we haven't talked about price yet, and that's why price in so many situations becomes the, the one reason people choose to buy or work with certain organizations and not others. So in the absence, of, and as I've written about that in the book, in the absence of any other meaningful reason, I'm going to go with price because you haven't given me a reason, any other reason apart from uh, from all the other competitors and options for me to choose you. So if you're the cheapest, I'll go for you. So we just talked about communicating with our disciples in order to talk to our customers to build them into disciples and social has changed how that's done from when I was working in retail where it was just a television station, a newspaper, a radio station, or at night plastering something on building sites. Uh, to today, we have all these different platforms. In your mind, if we are a, we've got someone who's operating something as a side hustle, they've got their own business going on as a side hustle and they've got a real job, they've got it going aside. An entrepreneur who is into their game or somebody who runs a company with 100 staff, is it your belief that people should be using all of the social platforms or is in your in your mind, should you become an expert in one platform? What's, what's your take on that, mate? It's horses for courses, Gary. It really does depend on who your market is, um, where they are and what they use. For example, in, a, in my business tick, yes, uh, we, have, we focus on Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter. And I, I jokingly say I don't think any of my clients or prospective clients are looking at Twitter, but it's something that, as being part of the, the digital marketing firmament, if you will, it's something that I think we should do and I enjoy doing. We've got 16,000 followers on, on Twitter and they're all genuine. They're not, they're not purchased, unlike all the, the offers that we get on a regular basis. So I think it's, you can spin your wheels a lot, and I've seen a lot of people uh, spend a lot of time, effort, and money on social media for no return, and I think you've got to be realistic. Uh, one of the case studies I use in the book is one of my all-time favorites is Anna White, who runs a carpentry, DIY carpentry business, started off as a blog from Delta Junction in Alaska. Now, most people have barely heard of Alaska, let alone Delta Junction, which is this small town, small town in, in Alaska. So if people say, oh, look, I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, and if the vast majority of people have infinitely more resources and opportunities available to them than Anna White, and she's created a New York Times and Amazon best-selling book, she's incredibly successful blog, she's got a fantastic following on social media. So if she can do it, and she produces over 400 pieces uh, a, a year, 400 content pieces a year, if she can do it from her home, anyone can do it. 
It's, it's quite ironic that you should mention that, and it's quite just fortuitous because the Mojo Radio Show has a massive listening audience in Delta Junction, Alaska. I don't know if you knew that, Peter. It's just like the irony of your... How many, Robbo? We do. It's huge. They, they're, they're all oh, over there you it. Go. Yeah. You've, got 10 people, you've got 10 people there, so you've got 80% of the population. You guys are stars. Mate, absolutely. <laughs> mate. Apparently local council, you know, before, the, uh, before they have their meetings, they actually play an episode of the show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And time spent listening, as you would know, Peter, it's about time spent listening. We, our, our numbers go through the roof because there's nothing else to do there. That's right. <laughs> But you've got 300,000 other, other podcasts they can listen to, but they chose yours because it's the best. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Don't throw a bucket of water on us, mate. Give us something. <laughs> uh, you've said that, and I love this quote, you said, it's not about having a social media presence. It's about making it count. We, if I'm going to give you 15, 20, half an hour a day of my time and I'm going to invest in my, my social media activity, What's the best advice that you could give me to make sure that I do make it count? Because my belief is a lot of people just have presence. They think if I keep posting something, that's good. That, that's we've got a social media presence. How do I really make it count? Like today, what does it mean to make it count? Well, I think what I mean by making it count is it doesn't live in isolation. We're all part of and this often overused term, an ecosystem, which includes our social media profile, which includes what we do in the media, um, if we have a book, if we make phone calls, the whole thing, we have to ensure that it's not the only thing. As I say, I think a lot of people, and I've, I've known several people, like particularly in the consulting side, who do a lot of social media, and it makes them feel good because they feel that they're doing stuff and they're, they're putting a post out there and they're interacting with people and they're retweeting and they're liking and they're posting and all these sorts of things, and it's all in a vacuum, because as we know, there's 95% of internet users in Australia are on Facebook. And I think it's, with Twitter, it's something like 19%. So I think it, it's really, it needs to be very, you need to have a very clear strategy as to why you're doing something. And it's like making it count is all about, okay, how is this going to help me to achieve my sales and marketing and commercial objectives? And if it doesn't, and if it won't, and it's just making you feel good and it's, and it's helping your your uh, 22-year-old intern to keep busy, well, don't do it. Yeah. Like, for example, I, I've, got a, I've got a personal Twitter account, which I've got, I think, uh, 180 followers. I don't know any of them. Actually, that's not true. I know one person, <laughs> one, 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 rad, one random person I know. The other, uh, one random, it's like, what? Really? You're actually looking at this crap? And I've got about 780 tweets that I make. Because I don't like going on Facebook with people, all the people I know and, and doing things. It's kind of like a stream of consciousness. Like this morning, for example, I put a really lame dad joke up there, which I find quite amusing. It's like um, the guy who founded Kellogg's was a serial entrepreneur, uh, food for thought, which, um, which I was told is a really bad, lame dad joke, which, of course, I loved. But it's like I put that out there because it's, it's completely self-indulgent for me. I make it count because it worked, it's meaningful to me. No one else, I think, would have any interest in it, and that's fine. I'm not doing it for any commercial reason. But I think from a commercial point of view, you do need to – we all have limited resources, and you need to ensure that it's, um, as I say, that it, it is worthwhile. Otherwise, you just – well, what's the point of having a Facebook profile? What's the point of having a, a Twitter account or a Pinterest account? And that's a big part of what we do with our clients is to say, okay, well – for example, we, we're, we're great believers in email. Email, I think, is the absolute bomb because I know it's the, it's the granddaddy of the granddaddy of digital, 
but it's it's the one where I can actually have a much more personal engagement with an individual rather than on social media. Social media is like it's it's the star. But email is really where you get the work done. It's where you close the deal. Okay, explain that to me. Because for me, I rarely open uh, email that I don't know the source. So if, if, if someone's got me on a mailing list somehow, even if it's something that I've added my name to because I wanted to download an ebook, uh, I, I'll ignore it. If, if it's not from Gary Birtwistle, you know, from you someone my I know. Stuff too. Well, yeah, I do ignore all that, but you know, <laughs> that's personal. That's personal choice. But um, how, how do I? Okay, if email's the bomb, how do I make it work for me? Is my question. If I'm trying to get in touch with people who don't know who I am. Well, again, it doesn't live in isolation. Email. Look, you're right, Gary, and, and you and I, all of us, we get a lot of spam every day. And the reason it's spam is it's exactly what you just described. It's from people we don't know about things we don't necessarily want. It's not relevant. So it's all about creating, it goes back to what we said before, consistency and relevance. If we can create, if we can create some type of relationship somehow, be it downloading an ebook. So, and again, I, I, I too download e- ebooks and books and those types of things because it, that particular subject is of interest to me. It may have come from a Facebook ad, which it often does. And I downloaded a, a book over the weekend because I saw something in my Facebook feed. That's, they've created a relationship with me. Now, I guess the, the, going back to the premise of the book, Customer Romance, is it's like, don't keep sending me stuff that you assume that I'm interested in just because I've downloaded this book. Why don't you ask me? Ask me what I'm interested in. Hi, Peter, we're interested in really finding out more about you. Why don't you, uh, we've just got this short two-minute survey, and if you answer it just as a a thanks for your time, well, here's another e-book for you, free, exclusive for you. That way, you find out more about me, and when you do send emails and you want to sell the book or you want to sell a training course or you want to sell whatever the event, that way, you can do it in a much more customized, personal way that's going to be relevant to me that I'm much more likely to open. The reason, Gary, we all, we all get lots of spam is that people don't bother doing that. That's gold, Gaz. I like that. Gold-plated uh, relationships. Um, <laughs> surely one of the great exponents of social in the world right now is the Donald the, the Donald, president, absolutely. the Donald. Yes, yes. What can we learn from Trump? Like him or love him, oh. if you look at him as a digital marketing brand analyzer, which you are, what can we take from Donald Trump? I am so glad you asked me that question, Gary. I am a huge fan of the way that Donald Trump ran his campaign. Now, putting aside all the misogyny and the racism and the sexism, those minor things, putting, a, putting those aside, I, I say that flippantly because we're having a, a commercial conversation, like a, a marketing conversation. I actually wrote a, a, put a post up on our blog, which I'll send you the link to after, after this interview finishes. Um, on the, I think it was around the 30th of August last year. So in other words, about three, months before, three or four months before the election. And I said, the lessons, the digital marketing lessons we can learn from Donald Trump and it was a very popular and much shared um, post, which actually was basically was saying he is doing a brilliant job of engaging with people. He's playing by his own rules. 
He's not doing things that are expected. He's he's picking sides and he's taking positions. And he's, I guess it goes back to, firstly, he was certainly being consistent and he was saying things that were meaningful and relevant to his audience. He understand what what people wanted. And then he was delivering it in a, in a quite an explosive way. And I think what he did was absolutely fantastic. Now, from a social media point of view, he had many, he had been building up his brand for 30 years, don't forget. So he, he, his brand predated social media by 20 or so years. So it's not as if he's a just flying type of guy. His opponent was doing it by the books. He, whereas with him, you felt what he was writing was absolutely what he believed in. It wasn't just something that came out of a focus group. It was Donald Trump completely unfiltered. And that was scary for a lot of people, but obviously it was very... People call him a fool and a buffoon. I don't think he's any of those things. I think he's a very intelligent man who actually found out how he could find out from the confines of his of his um, huge office skyscraper in New York as a billionaire, how he could find out what uh, people in the Midwest, un, you know, people who'd, who'd been doing it tough in the Midwest, what they wanted. I'm not sure, but he did. And he delivered on that. And he wasn't, he wasn't preaching to the converted. He was going out there and working out. And he proudly says he got 306 electoral college votes. He needed 270. And he basically focused on winning the election. Not about making friends, but on winning the election. And I think if we use that example in our own lives and in our own business, you need to focus on what is it that you want to achieve. And then, it's, it's, again, it's, it's marketing and success 101, but so often we get so sucked into, well, we've got to have a really nice video, or we've got to put the right social media profile up there and have the right post, and it's got to go through five rounds of changes and all this sort of BS. Not, it's almost like you, and, and I guess when you go to the, the US and you look at advertising, so much of it has had the humanity, so much of advertising has had the humanity squeezed out of it because it goes through so many layers and of approval and focus groups. We can't relate to it. The reason we like people, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me, but we, the guy has a position. The reason we like or loathe somebody like that is because we feel that they're genuine, they're real. That's why I often say actors like Russell Crowe has been so successful because it's like you might not necessarily like him, but you're drawn to him because that's really, he really is that math genius. He really is that gladiator. You really believe that there's, there's authenticity there that we don't get elsewhere. I, I like what Trump is doing because he seems to have taken ownership of Twitter and that is his platform of choice. And if I think back to my early days in retail and media, if you wanted to get mainstream media, you had to write a press release or have an agency work for you. You had to pitch your stories to journos in amongst everybody else. What I find fascinating in today's world is that he has created his own direct route to newsrooms where every story that you see on mainstream media anywhere in the world, from CNN to Bloomberg to wherever, they say Trump tweeted today and they'll actually show his tweets. So it's funny how the his form of social media has become his PR platform that the mainstream media will use to get their stories. And he's getting front pages and, and prime television all over the world simply off what he says in 140 characters. It's astounding. You're right. 
it is astounding, and it's like it's, it's what I always say to my clients: you have to create your own media platform because if you're if you don't create the way you've done it in the past, you've rented other people's audiences. You've got to create your own audience, and when it comes to relevance from a marketing point of view of of uh, of why you should do social media, why you should have a blog. That's why. I mean, Donald Trump is a one-off because he is, a, he is a, this enormous brand that he's built up over 30 years, not to mention in the last 10 years with, uh, with the Celebrity Apprentice and The Apprentice. But, uh, but he, has, he has control. And, and it's actually interesting. I was talking about this this morning with my partner about he is basically identifying what has always been the case. When he talks about fake news, that's the way it's always been. It's always been a journalist's opinion. Now, that journalist may or may not be right. They have a perspective. It's like when you go on TripAdvisor and someone says, I love this hotel. And then you go to that hotel and you say, I really hate that hotel. And you know why? It goes back to what we were saying before. It's about avatars. Because the, the person who made that, put that post up there is completely different to you. They have different expectations, different needs, different desires, different budgets, all those sorts of things. So I think it's very important when it comes to to brands, and Trump is most assuredly a brand, they have to, and this is the, the absolute golden age of doing this, they have to create their own audience. They have to create their own media platform so they don't have to rely on having to pay Channel 9 $3,000 for 30 seconds or 30000 or whatever it is for a, a double-page spread in the Sydney Morning Herald. That's, they, those uh, media channels, they've done a fantastic job of creating their own audience why can't Nike, why can't McDonald's, why can't Bayer create their own media channels? They can and they should. Now, it goes back to content and it goes back to relevance and authenticity. And all of those things are possible because it's like no matter what you're selling, be it toilet paper or a microphone or a calculator or a peg, it's not necessarily the excitement is not necessarily in the product and service itself. It's what that product and service can deliver and make it meaningful to my life on an emotional level. That's where the gold is from a content point of view. Yeah, it's nice, you know, because uh, there's no doubt Trump owns Twitter. Yet, if you hearing you talk just then, I said, well, who owns LinkedIn? And who's, who's the Trump of LinkedIn? I'd have to say you get someone like a Branson who seems to have really adopted LinkedIn for the B2B thing. Then you think about Snapchat and who comes immediately to mind for Snapchat for me is Gary V. And so these guys seem to find their platform and they might still tweet or do it, but they seem to find their platform and really concentrate to own that and then develop the content for, to your point, the target audience, make it relevant. It's, um, I think we had a full loop with this interview. It's been, um, it's been really good, mate. Now, uh, People can go and see you live. So I believe this week you are speaking in Sydney at Westfield. What's the what are the details, mate? How do people get along to see you? Well, they can actually. Uh, it's actually going to be in Westfield Bondi Junction, in one of the the rooms there. And for your audiences, for your audience, Gary, we have a special offer. In fact, um, it's, it's going to be forty five dollars to to get into the event. But for your listeners, it's going to be only thirty dollars. And if they send an email to info at impero, that's I-M-P-E-R-O dot com dot A-U, and put mojo in the subject line, um, Oksana, who's the, the wonderful entrepreneur behind Impero, will send an email back with a link to the Eventbrite um, event where you can buy that and uh, buy that ticket and you'll get it in at that price, which will be exciting because we'll be talking about the sorts of things 
uh, we talked about here before, which has been quite a far, wide-ranging discussion, which I've loved, um, and hopefully <laughs> said, said some things that, uh, that are, are of interest and relevance. And hopefully I haven't offended the people that tag along the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right, exactly. they we'll got a free, free plug. Yeah. Um, Peter, where do we find out more about you and the work you're doing with your team and you personally? Where would you send people? Well, in the first instance, they can go to TickYes, that's T-I-C-K-Y-E-S dot com. That's my business. And, of course, I'm on LinkedIn uh, under my name, Peter Applebaum. And actually, I just thought it would be worthwhile, Gary, if you're interested, I'm happy to give away five copies of uh, my book, Customer Romance, to your listeners. I'm happy to, for, and I'll leave that up to you to decide who those special listeners are. Um, in fact, if you come along, if you come along to the event next week on the first at uh, at Westfield Bondi Junction, everyone who registers will get a free copy of the book as well. So it's a re- I think recommended retail of uh, twenty four ninety five. So it's pretty good value, and you get to network with a whole lot of other like minded business people. A few memories for us at uh, Westfield Bondi Junction, Gary. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, for those yeah, who don't know, that times. was uh, that used to be the home of the once great Triple M network. In fact, oh, I think right. I think Westfield now would be on top of our second office, which was Billy the Pigs. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, there was the there was the Triple M Tower, but there was also Billy the Pigs. You're right, Billy the Pigs. Yes, goodness me. Hello, to Stuart. Don't remember Hello too to many Stuart. nights down there. <laughs> Hello to Stuart Cranny, all our friends at uh, formerly of the Triple <laughs> Billy the Pigs. Uh, good times. Oh, where's Cranny at Billy's? Oh, of course he is. Yeah, yeah, of course he is. We just popped downstairs and recorded a promo with him and Billy's. Uh, Peter, this has been great, mate. I really have enjoyed hearing you talk. We, we did cover a lot of ground, but that's typical of our show, mate. We have no particular... Uh, direction to take. We just go with the flow and uh, ideally add value to our listeners and uh, find out what gives you your mojo. And it's been great, mate. Thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure, Gary and Robbo. I've, I've enjoyed it immensely and um, hope to speak again. Cheers, we man. Well, we'll keep in touch. The Mojo Radio Show. So, Robbo, we have our new... Well, it's not new. It's a, it's a segment which is new to us in the last couple of months, but relatively new. Uh, called Getting After It. And this one's interesting because we are delving into Kimbucha, aren't we? We are indeed, which I've been delving into for about the last three weeks now, thanks to our next guest. Okay, roll it. At the Mojo Radio Show, we love hearing about people who are chasing their dreams. I have a dream. People who are getting after it. Gotta have soda rocking. If you're new to the show, folks, Robbo was very excited when... Andrew from Mojo Kombucha sent him a delivery of products and he came on last week's show and called it Kimbucha. <laughs> so we've now got him on the right track. Uh, it's been working for you, hasn't it? It has. It's been working big time. And the kids. The kids, you know, they've stopped coming in and drinking iced tea and all that sort of stuff. They've been grabbing this stuff from the fridge like there's no tomorrow and I'm happy for them to do it. And we know that the gut the gut microbiome, gut health is going to be the next frontier. So it was very timely we went down this road of kombucha. To understand what it is, how does it work, and how do we get some. So Andrew from Mojo Kombucha, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, Gary. Good to be here. Now, we met not long ago, and soon after you made a big career change. You took you took a uh, you took a fork in the road and went in a new direction. Can you talk us through what was going on at that time and why the career change? Uh, 
uh, yeah, it's it's been a bit of a journey actually. So um, I've helped found a family wine company back in 1998, and you know we grew that from pretty humble beginnings to um, you know a pretty significant brand. Um, but part of that uh, growth of, of the brand was bringing in a Chinese partner. So I brought a Chinese partner into our business in 2012 and it really did supercharge our business for a while and um, uh, and I spent an enormous amount of time uh, up in China working with that partner and his team and um, in the end, uh, well, actually what happened in 2014 is he ran into financial trouble and so everything that he said he was going to do, he couldn't couldn't quite deliver on. So um, we as a family then decided to uh, try and um, buy him out of the business. And um, so I spent probably the better part of 12 to 15 months working on um, that process. And in the end, we were unsuccessful. Um, so... At the conclusion of that process, I felt fairly uh, flat and uh, had lost my passion for what I was what I was doing, and um, really felt I needed at this stage of my life to make a make a change. And so I spoke to the family about uh, leaving the business, staying as a shareholder, but um, you know taking myself out of operations and um, you know taking a different path. And so. Um, you know, really from that time, uh, I just happened to have a conversation with a, with a friend who's a shareholder of this company and, um, you know, he, he knew my skill sets and knew where their business was going and felt we could be a good match. I'm always curious with that, Andrew, when people make that decision. Do you, when you made that decision to take that fork in the road, do you remember how, how you were feeling? Uh, <laughs> if I could swear on air, I would. But, um, uh, yeah, so, look, I, it, I was um, very uh, deeply affected by the, um, the process. It took an enormous amount out of me emotionally. And, um, in fact, I sort of, I really did lose my mojo. And, um, you know, people noticed it and, um yeah, I just didn't have that, um, I suppose, passion for what I was doing and that sort of flowed through and I had personal stuff going on with the divorce as well. So I had a whole range of things going on that, um, you know, were contributing to my really health and well-being. And, and uh, it, it, you know, I was feeling anxious and all these sorts of um, uh, feelings that I'd never felt before. So um, I really did need to find a way to move um, you know, out of that, I suppose, um, um, you know, those feelings and that, uh, you know, that, that area that I'd, that I'd found myself in. So if, if we fast forward not long, say 12 months, you've landed at Mojo Kombucha, good name, by the way. Uh, mm. <laughs> can you... <laughs> Should we be talking to Alicia Mayer about this? Is there some conflict there? <laughs> exactly. What's the copyright? So we're going to have a copyright battle over this one? Yeah. <laughs> this, this is being recorded, mate. This is, uh, this is your deposition. Um, mm. What's just, – just run it for us. Robbo and I have been following this sort of microbiome thing for a while now. We had a fascinating lady on called Jasmina who 
worked for a company or created a company called Mother Dirt, which was looking after the microbiome on the skin. And we've wanted for some time to, to, to speak to somebody who understood kombucha. Can you run it for us? What is kombucha and why should we be drinking it? Uh, kombucha is really a health elixir um, that has a very long history, you know, dating back to around 200 BC in the Qing dynasty. That's when it was first reported. Um, it's It was referred to then as the tea of immortality. So um, it's essentially um, a fermented tea. And uh, so you, you brew tea, um, you, you brew some tea, you add some sugar, uh, and then you add a thing called a SCOBY, which is a, um, uh, a, it's, a SCOBY is um, a, sim, a symbiotic um, uh, culture of um, yeast and bacteria. Um, and that culture breaks down the sugar, uh, converts it to alcohol and um, organic acids and enzymes, and um, essentially at the end of a sort of a two- to three-week um, fermentation process, uh, you have a product called kombucha. Um, and, um, you know, kombucha, people have been making their own kombucha for, for years, um, and it goes through, I suppose, uh, you know, in, in, and it's, it's across the world, um, but it really hasn't been brought to... You know, the commercial, it hasn't been commercialised um, until really in Australia the last 10 years. Um, and, in the U- and in the US it was commercialised earlier than that. Um, but it's a, it's a pretty special drink and I, I had really never heard much about it. Um, I, hadn't, I hadn't tasted the product um, uh, you know, before, so um, it was all. This is all very new to me, and um, but it's it's amazed me what um, you know what kombucha can do for for you. Is it similar to a, a kimchi or a, a sauerkraut, like in terms of what it's doing for us? Is that is that yeah, what I, you're saying? Yes. Yeah. I think we're in the same family of you know fermented products that um are very good for um you know for your gut and your overall well-being so given the fact that none of us are doctors nor do we play Mm. one on the interwebs Mm. um Mm. in your experience andrew now having been there you're a smart guy you've obviously researched this you've observed a lot of things going on how much would someone normally, let's average it out, how much would someone normally drink in a given day or week to be able to see some benefits? And then given that amount, what would the average person, uh, not that we have any average people listening to our show, but if the average person was drinking that amount, say, what are they likely to notice? How would I know that kombucha is doing something for me? Mm, mm. Um, Well, Look, our, I mean, the recommended sort of dosage is, is about, you know, um, a bottle a day or, you know, 300 mils a day. But, um, you know, for every individual, it's a, it's a personal, you know, choice on what, what works and what doesn't. Um, uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's quite 
um, in terms of the you know what you know what people feel from the product, I think that also is a personal thing. But you know we've had countless numbers of um, endorsements from. Uh, people across, you know, with different conditions, you know, um, cancer sufferers, um, people with Crohn's disease, um, uh, you know, um, uh, even, you know, recently we've had, uh, you know, someone who's got an autistic child who's, um, you know, in, has, has believes that our product has helped, you know, settle that um, that child down. So, you know, it's, as I said, there are people, you know, everyone's different and everyone, um, you know, responds differently to, 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 to products. And as you know, people have allergic reactions to products that you wouldn't ever expect them to have. And, uh, you know, so, but it really does, it's, to me, it's been quite compelling um, to see the, the range of positive endorsements from um, from so many people, and we've got you know, like we've got Jess Trengove, who's the Olympic marathon runner, who loves our product, been drinking it for several years, and she, you know, she has it every day and and swears by it, and um, you know, she uses it for her own, uh, you know, she's a physiotherapist, she's you know, come from a medical you know background, um, but you know, she gets her own benefits from it. Um, you know, in a, in a running sense, and in an overall well-being sense. Yeah, there's there's a lot of research that obviously you guys are across on the gut, and I mean, I, in my mind, I think it's going to be one of the next next big things. Andrew is we're going to start to focus more on the gut and not caloric intake and hit workouts. I think it's, we're going to get down to the fundamentals of how messed up our guts are. And something that I have heard recently by a medical expert is talking about how things like autism and people who have uh, fits uh, and a lot of other diseases can see a lot of benefit by fixing up their gut microbiome because of inflammation. So it's 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 good hearing it from you, and I think for anybody listening, there there is a lot of science. I would go on the interwebs and investigate this, but I I must say I've been surprised at how much starts in the gut, and then when you go to the solution, people will talk about as Robbo said, kombucha, kefir, uh, kimchi, sauerkraut. It all starts with that sort of fermented stuff in the gut. I, I'm. I'm just curious with this, Andrew, is that I, I walk into a supermarket here in Australia and I know I've, been, well, I've walked into Whole Foods in America and I've seen kombucha on tap where you can walk in and this magnificent display is on tap. But here in Australia, we have our very, very commercial supermarkets and I'll see kombucha now on the supermarket shelf. Skepticism is part of our society. Should I be sceptical? that if a supermarket is stocking something, it's not the real deal? Uh, well, in our case, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> correct. That's the correct answer. <laughs> uh, I mean, we just we just launched into Woolworths back in uh, late September, early October, and, um, you know, it's a live product, so it has to be supplied through a chilled distribution chain, um, you know, so it's a living culture. Uh, and you know it's the same, essentially the same product in Woolworths that we sell in our in through the health food stores and where 
you know, where we, where we started selling. Um, uh, you know, so it is, yeah, it's the real deal. Um, I suppose what's not necessarily the real deal is if you see, you know, a kombucha that's um, what I'd call ambient, so it's not chilled. Um, you, it's not going to necessarily convey the same benefits as, as a chilled uh, kombucha um, because it's quite likely that that product's been pasteurised uh, and, and killed off, you know, some of those, uh, you know, living, living good bacteria in there that, um, you know, um, should have been uh, kept at a, uh, a lower temperature. So for the... The new players to the Mojo radio show who might have sort of picked up listening to us over Christmas or something, I mean, my first question would be, where have you been for the last two years? Um, but my second question would would be just just to give some background to what we're actually doing here. Can you fill us in on, on I mean, we're talking a prebiotic, is that right, or a probiotic? It's a probiotic. Okay. Yep. Can you fill yep. someone who might be a novice at this in on what we're actually doing to our bodies or to our gut in general? Um, so essentially probiotics are good, friendly or healthy bacteria um, that um, really result in, you know, a range of health benefits for the individual that, digest you know digest it so um you know it, it, it helps with it does help with digestion um and as a consequence that leads to um you know it can lead to weight loss for people because you know digestion's improved um it, it actually can help with um uh, you know, reducing um, exercise-induced muscle damage and helping with recovery. Um, it, it leads to it can lead to the impact in the gut can lead to reduced inflammation for you know some arthritis sufferers. Um, so it's I think the gut is referred to as like the second brain. And um, I think that's what we're learning and we're still learning about it. And, and I'm certainly on that learning curve myself. Um, but uh, it just, you know, our, our body revolves so much around the, the workings of our stomach and, and what's going on with the balance of, um, you know, acids um, and um, bacteria in our stomach. Um, and yeah, and that in turn can affect our brain, right? That's as you say, the gut's the second brain, and so you know, if if that's out of whack, we're also affecting our brain and and our mojo. Therefore, yeah, uh, w- uh, there is no question, no question at all um, about that. If we go back to the making of this, Andrew, we have the SCOBY, which. If people are listening and visualising what a SCOBY is, it looks like a jellyfish, like a blubber jellyfish that sits inside, right? Then you've got fermented tea and Mm. then you said you've got to add sugar. And what I just wanted to ask you about is, and I hear people talk about this as, oh, it's got sugar in it. Is Mm. it true that the sugar basically is part of the fermentation process? So you're actually drinking a drink that actually isn't full of sugar? Is that right? Correct, yeah. By the the time it's completed, the sugar's broken down um, significantly, and so you know, a kombucha is a very low sugar, um, you know, health drink. Um, so you know, like we have 
around 2.5 grams, you know, per 100 gram, 100 mil of a drink. Now that, you know, you compare that to soft drinks, yeah. and you know, we're probably five to, you know, eight times less than, uh, you know, traditional soft drinks and juices. Plus you get all the upside of being a probiotic, so you get all the bacteria and the live cultures going into your gut, so <laughs> there really is exactly. no comparison, is there? <laughs> it's, there is no, there's no comparison at all. There's no, there is no comparison. Um, and what you haven't said is how good it tastes, because they do add flavourings to them, um, which is yeah. all part of the process. They taste damn good, don't they? Absolutely. I've, I've been, I'm a convert and I drink it every day and um, the great thing is there's there's a lot of variety, you know. We, we make nine flavours and, you know, we use organic fruits, you know, in those, in those products. So we're very committed to making, you know, raw, really natural um, products without any, um, you know, artificial sweeteners or, you know, any nasties going in, into it. It, it. I mean, kombucha is a natural process, so we wanted to um, be, um, you know, as true to that process as we could. Andrew, when I met you, it was with a, a group of other very switched on senior executives. So I know you've, you've been around, you're at the top of your game, so you're a smart guy looking at a brand new category in kombucha. Um, I'd be interested in your observations. Is the perception changing where, in my mind, going back only a few years ago, kombucha was sort of hippie, greeny, tree-hugging, people living in the mountains brewing this stuff. Uh, and you'd see them at select markets out there where the, the people are drink, you know, having organic products and everything else. Is it, is it fair to say that your observations as a businessman is that now it's becoming a lot more accessible and mainstream to people and we're going to see this continue to grow? Would that be right? Uh, absolutely. Um, the, there, is, there is a movement happening. There is no doubt there's a movement happening. And, you know, we've seen it from very humble beginnings in this business, you know, probably 10 years ago, you know, making it in a shed. Um, you know, but over the last uh, particularly three or four years, you know, sales for this business have been, you know, pretty much doubling. And, you know, so we, we, we started through the health food um, organic segment. Um, then we went into independent supermarkets. And so it's in independent supermarket shelves like, um, you know, the IGAs of the world, the IGA-related chains of the world. Um, and um, and then it's you know now now we're seeing it appearing in you know convenience outlets in mainstream um, supermarkets like Woolworths. We're trialling it in Coles. So um, the fact that the buyers um, in these supermarkets are prepared to um, you know bring these products in um, is an indication that their customers are looking for healthier alternatives um, and you know they're seeing they're seeing their chilled juices sections um, you know maturing in terms of their sales um, so they're looking for, for products that um, uh, will give them an opportunity to, to grow that category again um, and uh, you know it, all you have to do is have a look at what's happened in America you know it's it, you know, it's close to, a, um, uh, you know, half a billion to uh, 750 
uh, you know, 750 million industry there, you know. So, um, you know, there's a company that um, is a kombucha producer that just got bought for 200 million by PepsiCo. Um, so, um, you know, it is, it's huge in America. It is huge. And, uh, you know, Australia tends to follow America in, in terms of um, uh, a lot of trends. Um, now this, uh, okay, you could call this a trend, but the reality is people are looking to make healthier choices about what they eat and what they consume. And they want to live longer they want to live healthier. Um, and, you know, any product that's going to help them do that, that's, that's enjoyable, um, seems like a no-brainer. And I think uh, you said there's definitely a movement happening. I would go so far as to say if you don't have your own personal movements happening on a regular basis, <laughs> uh, <laughs> kombucha would be your first call because uh, I think a lot of people aren't having their regular movement happening, Andrew. So um, mm. from my experience of it, kombucha and the likes are a very good way of uh, getting on board that movement. Potty mouth. Absolutely. I'm not going to, I'm not just, going anywhere near that one, Gary. I'll leave that to you. It's just just getting your mojo working. Uh, <laughs> I I gotta say, mate, one of the things that I loved when you said it is the tea of immortality. That's going onto mm. the wall of the studio. That's uh, right up there with our yeah. uh, caveman coffee. Um how do we how do we find out about your product? It's called Mojo Kombucha. Where do we find it? Oh, well, you'll find it in Woolworths in the chilled juices section. Uh, you'll find it in uh, places like Harris Farms, um, About Life, um, uh, some independent supermarkets uh, around the place. So, um, and really, a lot of the organic, you know, the, the health food stores around the corner, uh, you know. Um, that have all of the, you know, really have been um, pioneers for uh, products like kombucha. They're the, they're the places that hopefully you'll find our, our product. Um, and what, what website would you send people to to get more information or to check it out right now? Um, well, we're organicandraw.com.au, which is the name of our company, um, and uh, so yeah, there's 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 a fair bit of information there, and there's we've posted a few articles from um, third party, you know, doctors and um, the like that that talk about um, you know the benefits of, of kombucha. Well, mate, we uh, we really appreciate your time, and I think it's just worth reiterating that this is not a uh, this is not a commercial. We're not associated with this product in any way. We are just fascinated by kombucha. We're fascinated by the gut. And with what Andrew's covered off, we just know the gut has a lot to do with how we feel, our energy levels, and how we get our mojo working. It's such an integral part. So um, thanks for sharing, mate. Nice to catch up. Pleasure. I, uh, I can certainly say, Gary, that I've got my mojo back. And, um, you know, it's not all about the product that, I, <laughs> that I'm selling and the company I'm working for, but it's, it's certainly got a bit to do with it. So, you know, so I'm, I'm, feeling, uh, I'm feeling pretty damn good about life at the moment. The Mojo Radio Show. Simmer down, you noisy, screaming thing. I don't say this very often, and we certainly were not paid for that interview in any way, shape or form, but can I highly suggest to anybody who is vaguely interested that you go out and give it a go because the results for me have spoken for themselves. Yeah, it's true. We're not getting paid for any of these. Uh, We just like to get after it for people who've got an interesting story. And 
the, honestly, the way we, we think about these stories is, does it add value to us? Do we like it? And do we think you'll get some value or entertainment out of it? And if it's a yes, then we just do it. So uh, you find the supermarket shelf, top guy. He's, he's a very, very cluey guy. So for Andrew to be working on this brand, you know it's, uh, it's got to have a lot of credibility about it. Now, we are going to wrap up our little shindig here. Uh, we do have a new segment called Shout Out. Shout it. This came about because our mates, the Dead Daisy, put us on to Paul Stanley, who is the lead singer from the great band called Kiss. They had that song called Shout It Out Loud. We thought, you know, there's a lot of people doing great stuff in the world who are probably getting paid pretty crappy money, but they're doing it for all the right reasons and they probably just need a little bit of acknowledgement, a little bit of a shout out to say thank you. And uh, who are we doing this week, mate? You know what? We're going to go local. I'm going to go to our garbage man or everybody's garbage man, I should say. The most, one of the most unappreciated jobs on the planet, I would think. Last week, my pager went off at 3.30 in the morning and there was a fire at our local tip. <laughs> and oh, lovely. <laughs> we, yeah, we had five or six different crews there at four o'clock in the morning all putting water because the tip had gone up in flames, so to speak. Uh. And uh, I've got to say, it made you really appreciate what Garbo's put up with nine, ten hours a day because it was not a pleasant experience. Yeah. And when we were stood down, when the graders and bulldozers arrived, we were stood down, we were pretty happy to go home and have a decent scrub. Yeah, I bet. So, mate, I'm with you. I, I, I don't know what Garbo's receive in pay, but I tell you what, it's, it's, it's a thankless job. They probably get treated like crap by most people who live in the homes. They take care of our garbage, and when they don't do it, all hell breaks loose Absolutely. to say, Why? Why is my rubbish still in my, my tin? Here's my personal shout out to my local guy. Uh, last week we had our bin out on the curb and some person, shall we call them, decided that uh, they were going to park directly in front of where I'd plonk my bins for the guy to collect the next morning. So my garbo didn't just drive straight past the next morning. He stopped the truck, jumped out, dragged the bins back to the driveway where he could reach them with the robot arm, picked them up and emptied them. And now he could have driven straight past. And I thought, mate, you've just earned yourself to shout out. <laughs> he does. And our shout out track for this week, let's face oh, it, folks. Garbo's. It it's a dirty deed, but someone's going to do it. ACDC, let's get it on. We're out.
Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurtWhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.